Well, I'm checking my phone to see the news, and I am checking to see if there is an indictment of former President Donald Trump. And as of right now, at 10:12 on Wednesday morning, there is not. But all indications are suggesting that the indictment will come down today. There was one article I read in an English tabloid, so take it with a grain of salt, perhaps, yeah. is that the indictment will come today. And then we will have um, a surrender next week. Yeah, I saw the that. headlines I'm looking on the on the news aggregate site now are asking, will he be handcuffed? Um, comments from judges, all the things that are in here, and that's if that comes down today, that will completely dominate the the news cycle, yeah. and for understandable reasons, it will be on the minds of of um, everyone, including Christians, maybe the question is, should it be on the mouth of the preacher on Sunday? Um, And so the topic that is interesting that we want to get in today a little bit is is really sort of reflecting on what is the role of the sermon, um, and not the sermon exclusively, but speaking for us at St. Timothy's in Winston-Salem, but also thinking more broadly, what is the role of the of the church in the public sphere? Mm-hmm. Um, why do we comment when we do? Why do we not comment? Should we comment? And all of the ambiguities and tensions that that are around um, that surround that. So that's the open-ended topic today um, of of the several things that we want to talk about. And I'll just I will start with this because I have definite political opinions. Yeah. Most of them are not formed, meaning I'm not an expert in them. Right. I have right. ideas, I have thoughts, I have um, reactions, emotional responses to things. But, I mean, take, for instance, the, the um, banking crisis. Yeah. I, I don't like it, but I have no idea what's happening. Um, And so for me to comment on a banking crisis, for instance, would just be me revealing my ignorance. Um, There was one quote somewhere I read, and I don't know if it was Chesterton or someone that said that the context was Church of England, which said most sermons he hears simply only reveal what papers arrive at the vicarage, meaning that um, the content of the sermons simply just reveals the ideological, political bent of the preacher. So my perspective, so even though I have these opinions, as we all do, um, we should as citizens, and we should be as informed as possible, but what is my level of expertise to comment on these things with the authority of the pulpit mm-hmm. and with the authority given to me as uh, as an ordained priest? That is what I immediately uh, uh, consider. People will sometimes give backhanded praise that this is not a political church in terms yeah. of the content of the sermons. I think I know what they mean by that. What I don't want that to mean is that we... Um, are not uh, engaged in the world, yeah. nor do we, I don't want that to mean that that we don't speak to the needs of the world mm-hmm. and the evils of this world. Rather, what I hope that means is the content of the sermons, which have to be political necessarily mm-hmm. because the gospel demands something of us and how yeah. we interact with society. I hope that means that we are not partisan here, that um, we are 
we are uh, prioritizing a platform from the political party that we identify with right. above and beyond the, the teaching of of the church. The other thing that I that I think about is what am I? What is my role? What 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 is my level of expertise? And for clergy, our expertise should be teaching people how to pray, and teaching people how to pray through national scandal, mm-hmm. tragedy, so on and so forth. And if our focus is on that, and then we keep our focus on the um, on the risen Lord who died for our sins, then then we can pray through these these major questions. The other thing, just immediately I'll say, and then we can go deeper into it, is I never feel compelled or I don't want to comment. Let me let me rephrase that. I've been criticized by people for not commenting on certain things mm-hmm. in pulpits from the pulpit. Context is key here. Um Sometimes you need to, and it would be pastoral malpractice to not comment. Mm-hmm. And that requires discernment as does this rise to the level of, of, um, of that everyone is, is thinking on this. For instance, if Sunday after 9-11, you didn't yeah. mention it, yeah. that's pastoral malpractice. If there were a major tragedy in the parish, yep. that would be malpractice. There's a colleague of mine who was in a church in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, and there was a, um, a, a tragedy with a commercial airliner at the airport the day before. And he was telling me that the preacher was still processing the events of the previous day, but people were impacted. They either worked at the airport or mm-hmm. were pilots, and it wasn't mentioned, and they were, they were uh, criticized for that. Um, it's a it's a tricky spot to be in, but I don't want to comment on everything, setting the expectation that I must comment on everything right. because I'm going to leave something yeah. out. Uh, what is very important to you and rightfully so may not be on the minds of everyone, and 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 it just may not be possible to comment on it. So that's the initial reflection as to is to the is to the tricky part. But I think that what is our goal in preaching? And what is our goal in communicating the gospel is that um, I think you and I agree on this. We have a long-term approach, and so let's just take let's take President Trump's indictment, which I imagine is going to happen. Yeah. There's no need for me to get up in the pulpit and condemn the actions of of President Trump because uh, that is uh, it means a polarizing issue. You've already made your decision, and it's either in this polarizing time you're either going to people are typically looking to have their assumptions confirmed either way. That either he agrees with me, he doesn't agree with me. Um, how does this impact the gospel? How does it intersect with the rhythm of prayer in the church? How does this impact Passion Sunday? I'm not sure it has a role necessarily uh, in that. Um, but the main, the other thing is, is that every issue, and we can take, we can take um, political issues, we can take issues in the church, like issues over sexuality, mm-hmm. issues over gender that we don't overtly address here. Uh, from the pulpit, and the reason is not because we don't have opinions or, or thought through theologies, but oftentimes there are a lot of things that are unknown, a lot of questions that we haven't answered, but also there's a lot of nuance to these things, and sermons aren't 140 character tweets, they aren't bullet points to 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 win um, you know to to win points with one constituency or to agitate another. 
The goal of our preaching is to show the love of the crucified Lord, that we may be drawn into his love to have a transformed life, and that is my objective. And that may take weeks, months, and years to do, but we are committed to that long process, to, to working through these things with everyone uh, in a pastoral, sensible, non-cowardice way, mm-hmm. um, but there is risk in doing that. I have vomited a lot of words and probably said very little. It sets but, the stage well. But there's a lot of stuff to talk about and, um, and a lot to translate about things that you and I as preachers really have to think through yeah. and make a lot of decisions from reading what's on the news to reading the biblical text to we finally put something on, on the computer screen yeah. as we write our sermons. Well, let's dig a little deeper. Um, but first, let's, let's open in prayer, um, and that will kind of... Uh, set our our minds um, on Jesus Christ, which is kind of where we should be approaching all of these topics to begin with. Let us pray. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread which giveth life to the world, evermore give us this bread that he may live in us and we in him, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. As I was... um, you know, thinking through talking about hot button issues, you know, politics, especially from the pulpit, I was reminded of uh, Michael Ramsey's book, The Christian Priest Today, his, uh, the Archbishop's uh, or Presiding Bishop's kind of instructions for people about to be ordained. I think it was um, originally maybe a speech that he gave. Uh, I think I'm remembering that correctly. And, you know, it's, it's all these um, ordinands and they're, you know, it's the night of or, or the week before their. Um, ordination to the priesthood, and he kind of goes through, you know, the need for prayer, um, the need for the study of scripture, and then he has a, a whole section on the priest in politics, or the priest in the social order, and um, I think he has a lot of good insights, so I wrote down a couple of the, the points he makes that I think help guide kind of where we are approaching a lot of these things. So he basically sets up, you know, he tells them, imagine two priests, and so you have, and, and he's intentionally being extreme. Um, here's one on the extreme side and, and another extreme side, but um, he's kind of using that to make his point. And he says, you know, the first one, focused entirely on the salvation of souls, and those in his care are saved. They repent of their sins, and he even specifically names them. It's always biblical names, pride, greed, selfishness. But they're intensely inward focused. They might feel comfortable with their standard of living, even though they live not far from those with intense poverty. And Ramsey will basically say the accusations lobbed against these congregations are men are saved for what or converted to what. And then he kind of talks about the dangers of this, blind complacency, failure to recognize God in all people, but there are benefits too. They, they are focused on Jesus Christ. Um, they just might be missing some of the application there. And then he takes the other extreme. And he even says, these people take the words of the Magnificat in deadly earnest. He knows, this, this priest, that racial discrimination is blasphemy, that poverty and hunger have something urgently to do with Christianity. This priest spends his time organizing protests, campaigns, leading demonstrations. The themes of his poverty are always about the day, race, poverty, war. And he says there's a lot of this good This was written here. in 1950s, yeah. 1960s. Yeah, this is not uh, yeah. modern, but Correct. 100% applicable. And then he says, you know, the downsides of this are um, the people are, being, are not being helped to the knowledge and love of God, the way of holiness, and the hope of heaven. 
Um, When causes and opinions are substituted for God, prayer, and repentance, the outcome can be bitterness and shallowness no less than love and service. So he says the dangers of here are um, missing the spiritual application. So take it to its extreme, um, easy to condemn, hard to forgive, blind to the inward call that God has given all of us, um, always able to rightly point out injustice, um, but the application, the, the um, personal relationships that you're supposed to build, the calls to forgive, you kind of miss that when you take that to an ex- ex- extreme. So what do you, you know, obviously what his point is, you don't have to pick either of these extremes, although priests often do. And he says it's, it's easy to fall into one extreme or the other. And, there's, and the important part, I think, is the point we always have to keep in mind, there's goods on both sides. The inward call of personal holiness um, is good. The outward responsibility to condemn racism, poverty, and injustice, also good. You don't have to pick one or the other, though. And he concludes with this, which I think is really good. It's possible to preach the gospel of conversion without any sight of its social context. It is impossible. It is possible to preach a social gospel which omits the reality of conversion to Christ. Be it to your wisdom to preach the gospel of conversion, making it clear that it is the whole man with all of his relationships who is converted to Jesus as the Lord of all that he is and does. And he he kind of concludes with this idea of principle versus program, um, which I think is really helpful. He says, we have our Christian principles. Those are are so black and white. Racism is bad. That is a a principle that all men are created equal. Um, That doesn't just you know, come from our declaration. I mean, that is that is a Christian foundation. Programs are applications of those. How do we apply those? What is the right, you know, political institution or program that's best going to... Well, well, that's a, that's a different conversation. And that's where Christians can actually have agreement on what is best related to the program. Um, the principles need to be clearly articulated. Um, and I think that is always a helpful place to return to Especially when I'm thinking about preaching from the pulpit, and you know, I'm thinking about commenting on on certain things. Am I commenting on the program, or am I content, commenting on the Christian foundation, the actual principle? If it's the principle, you ought to be doing that, and that is that is good. If it's a program, well, you better be you better be certain about that. You better not be using your authoritative platform to talk about something that there might be room for disagreement on. Um, that's a helpful kind of calling for for me when I preach. I always find that helpful. Yeah, I think there are two two things to consider. One is if um, I remember a very faithful, well-meaning friend. This wasn't a criticism. It was it was them working through their um, their anxiety in living mm-hmm. in this in this modern time and and they were sort of asking in a way why are we not speaking out mo- more overtly on on yeah. on issues of race and racism and i think this was in the aftermath of of one of the numerous yeah. race um tragedies and riots that that followed and i understood what the person was saying um but one of, the, one of the things that it made me think about is if we have to say that racism is not Christian, then we have lost a, a, we, we've lost it on articulating what Christianity is. Yeah, yeah. Racism is being antithetical to Jesus Christ should be implicit yeah. and explicit in the proclamation of the gospel. Mm-hmm. 
and we shouldn't have to ideally have to explain that Christianity and racism are not compatible. Yeah. Ideally. Ideally. I mean, granted, yes, we we're not we're not naive to the fact that people in the name of Jesus Christ have really promoted some some yeah. awful ideologies uh, and some awful ideas um, even even in in a, in a in a large scale and in in an official scale. Mm-hmm. However, that tells me we have more work to do yeah. to articulate what Christianity actually is. The other thing that that I was trying to get at at the at the beginning is that all preaching is ultimately pastoral. And what concerns me somewhat, and I'm guilty of this, is sort of wondering how will this sermon play on YouTube? Yeah. How will it play on social media? Because our goal is to proclaim the good news and to bring people into our congregation, not so that we get um, a gold star by our name, but so a a life can be transformed by community in the sacraments. That's evangelism. That's what we're called to do. And the great gift of Facebook Live and um, and YouTube and and being able to replay sermons and and all of these things is not for our glory at all, God forbid, but but for people maybe are inspired to come in um, and join us. But the danger is, is that we start delivering our sermons um, anticipating what that one or two good lines yeah. is that we those can lift sound up bites. those little sound bites or how it might play to people or to our friends in mm-hmm. other corners of the yep. nation or our own little theological echo chamber that they might see yeah. and like and share and say, look at what Father Steve did this yeah. week, you know, out of boy. Going back to racism, I remember um, being in a—I served churches in the South— and racism is not limited to the South. Let's let's be fair to yeah, the South. Yeah. However, we do have our challenges. And I remember being in parishes where that was a real issue. And I do know that, for instance, if I were to have a book study on on um, racism, nobody would come. Yeah. Now, that might enable me to check a box and say, look what I've done or look what we've you know, and tried to do. But what's the goal here? Is the goal to get people to view one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and not have any sort of prejudice based Mm -hmm. on the color of their skin? Then pastorally, we have to understand our people, their background, the context, and what might speak to them and what will simply harden their heart and push them further away. And so that's the difficulty of—because you and I both have seen on social media, which is the devil's playground half the time— of there may be some national event or global event, and someone will say, "If your preacher doesn't you say this, walk out." Walk out. <laughs> and then you know that it's becomes, become a meme. It by becomes this point, a meme by but, this point. But, but there's serious. Yeah. And if you, and if you don't say this, I'm not coming back. Yep. You've got to word for word almost. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, uh, to be fair. Sometimes there may be a grain of truth in that. Don't walk out. But saying that if your preacher doesn't address this, there's some homiletical spiritual malpractice going on. But but the preacher ideally needs to know their congregation and to know what speaks to them Mm -hmm. and to know their history. Um, So it's simply not that easy. And if you were to go through and pick a church based on if, if all of your boxes have been ticked, that's not really fair. Right. Yeah, I think, um, when we when we start to approach these things, you mentioned this at the beginning. What is our our long range goal? Um, 
It is not for people to have the same five sound bites that we have. It is for people to be transformed and to go do their own thing. And in the way we sometimes approach these hot button issues, if it begins and ends at the pulpit, you've not you've never actually done anything. Correct. Um, if your idea and and you know this is this is should always be challenging for us, you know, as people who preach. If you think that because you've tweeted something or because you've said the right line from the pulpit that you have you have done your deed to deal with this in your community, that's naive. Um, that is supremely naive. And so, you know, I, I think let's let's take let's take St. Timothy's as a, as a great example. I'm probably never going to preach from the pulpit about the best programmatic way to end homelessness. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not. I'm not claiming to be a person with a major in That's social work. That's not your level of expertise. No. And yeah. and you know, I may talk to Lee Tolberry and City with Dwellings and say, "What's what's been working? What can we help you with um, based on your expertise?" But you know what we can do? We can house homeless people, um, and that that flows from the principle that Christ compels us to to house the homeless, um, to clothe the naked. That's a principle. You can act black and white on that. You don't need to be talking about this bill got introduced from the pulpit and this is the Christian way to end homelessness. Ideally, like you said, we should all agree on the principle. Homelessness is bad. We should want people in homes. How you actually approach that and go about it, um, you might you might spend five hours studying that and think you have the best soundbite from the pulpit, and nobody may change their mind. Nobody may even care what you said from the pulpit. But if you actually start housing homeless people, I think that is some of the best ways we actually deal with some of these issues. It's just do it. Do the thing that you're called to do. And, you know, you may never even have to mention it from the pulpit because everyone knows as a community you're, you're buying into this. You have bought into this Christian principle. And, you know, when it comes up in the news, your people are able to filter it through their own hands-on experience with their parish. I think that is some of the best ways to deal with some of these issues or is to actually internalize them in your community. Don't pat yourself on the back because you tweet the right thing. Um, that's not actually changing. You can, you know, we could, we could talk about homelessness every sermon, um, but until we actually open our doors for homeless people, their lives aren't being impacted by that. Yeah, I think our goal in preaching for, to take homelessness, for instance, um, and again, let me, let's be clear. You and I are not saying that we um, do not think legislation is important Co- and can it, be helpful or that, or, that, or that we should be involved and informed in the political process, both in knowing what the legislation is, what the laws are, all, all yeah. of that. I mean, that's, we're completely for yeah. a active participation yeah. in, our, uh, in, our, in our representative government, 100%. My homiletical goal is not to convince the North Carolina General, General Assembly yep. to pass a certain legis- piece of legislation. My homiletical goal is to inspire a member of the congregation when they drive down the road and they're at the red light and see a person holding a sign, not to immediately judge them. Exactly. That is my goal. Exactly. And that is a way to fight homelessness on the ground, to have compassion and mercy rather than simply to um, outsource the responsibility to elected officials in yeah. Raleigh or Washington uh, or whatever the case may be, who, uh, you know, and that may or may not um, be the most effective way of doing it. it. It sort of, it reminds me, this is not a perfect comparison of the parable that Jesus tells 
about the two sons yep. who are um, the father tells them both to go work in the vineyard in the in the in the vineyard or the fields or wherever it was I can't remember, and one says I'll do it yep. and then doesn't go, the other says I don't think I'm gonna go, think but then ends up doing it. He says which one did the will of the father, the one who actually did. Yeah. So we can either say the right things yep. and then do nothing. Now I think we should be faithful to the proclamation right. yeah. and do it. I mean. A parable does not tell you to, you know, tweet that you love homelessness, but go open a correct, shelter. I mean, correct. And above our pulpit, we have a line from John's Gospel. Um, Sir, we would see Jesus. Yeah. We want to see yeah. Jesus. So in our preaching, that's what needs to be revealed is not who we voted for, but who we've given our lives to. Yeah. Um, and I think if we can focus on that, and I think if there's a, a covenant between the preacher and, and the congregation, mm-hmm. this is what our objective is. Now, again, I have, just to restate, I have political opinions, I have theological opinions, which may or may not, and likely do not mesh with the majority of my congregation. Yeah. Um, and some of those people can probably figure out, and some you know, people probably don't know. But if we can have a covenant of trust that my objective for you and for me is mm-hmm. to grow in holiness and to encounter Jesus Christ and to live faithfully, then I think we have, we've given each other the time for those differences of opinion, of, of experience mm-hmm. and context to be teased out through prayer and fellowship and the Holy Spirit, which may not, may not happen over mm-hmm. an hour. It may happen over a decade. And I think I think um, that right. is absolutely worth it. The other thing is interesting to me that I think we try very hard to do is I, I heard a um, an interesting distinction being made. This way, again was over the issue of gun legislation, and um, it was I don't remember the man's name, but he was he he was he basically was running an an alternative to the National Rifle Association. Mm. And he was saying that, and it's like we have in, in the Episcopal Church, there's a group called Bishops Against Gun Violence. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I don't know of a group that is for gun violence. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I'm, not, I'm not making fun of bishops. Right. I'm just yeah, saying, I think the Christian position is no one is for gun violence. violence. Yeah, right. You shouldn't have to say I'm against gun violence. Mm-hmm. I'm against any kind of violence with guns, knives, fists, right. words, whatever. Um, but the, the gentleman who... who was leading the organization said no gun owner um, in his opinion wants an increase in gun violence he says the issue is not over policy the issue is actually over politics Mm -hmm. about how we go about to achieve Mm -hmm. that goal everyone he says wants the same goal and what is the goal the reduction of 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 the elimination of gun violence the policy we can debate how do we get there it's the politics. It's the division. It's the it's the tone. It's the it's um, it's the othering of one another mm-hmm. and the sorting of people into 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 different groups is what is becoming so toxic in our, in our nation. And if we're not careful, that same sort of um, um, experience can bleed into the congregation, where our policy, to use that language, our end goal is transform life in Jesus yeah. Christ. Um, we have to be careful not to get caught up in the toxicity of the politics mm-hmm. of the dividing and the sorting where we become at odds with one another. In this parish, I'm not afraid at all of of differing opinions, yeah. different understandings. If we all have the same objective, 
yes. the same goal. And if we can if we can use the same vocabulary, if we're using the same words, and if we both um, appeal to the same sources of authority, then we can have a fruitful, healthful, right. life-giving conversation all day long, even if we have disagreements, we can work through them. In the church, if we don't have the same language, if we don't have the same goal, if we don't um, subscribe to the same sources of authority, there's division. Yeah, that last one is so important because you know people will spend 15 years bickering when their foundation has been wrong from the beginning. I mean, we have to be able to recognize that if our vocabulary, if our language, if our appeals to authority are as far away as can be, you got to deal with that first. Yeah. You can't jump and go ahead and start bickering about, you know, politics or policy when you're totally polar opposites on your sources of authority, which is why, and especially today, um, you've got to start with making sure, you know, the Word of God, Jesus Christ, the Church's teachings, um, people will will submit to those sources of authority because you have to do that before you can actually go any further. And that's not an insignificant step. That's going to take some time to to establish that shared authority and language and vocabulary. We will never accomplish that. We, right. We're always building You're kind of always it. struggling on that first and step. And that is our homiletical objective, yeah. is to, is to um, communicate and learn the language of faith, mm-hmm. to, um, to understand Holy Scripture, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. the, the teaching of the Church, ideally the undivided Church. Yeah. Not the tyranny of the rector or the curate, but the but the teaching authority of the church that we subscribe to and submit to is what we're trying to communicate, which will then give us what we need to then understand the world. Yeah. The other thing is is that, and this is this is important. Uh, and again, I think at Saint Timothy's, I would argue not that it's a competition, but I mean we're really socially active. Yeah. Not in the way that lots of churches are, but I mean, we again, we have a homeless shelter, mm-hmm. twenty-five feet from where we're sitting. Yeah. We're dealing with injustice in terms of poverty, in terms of uh, the people that we serve with the Society of Saint Joseph of Arimathea. The majority of those babies that we bury are, are there because of Im- impoverished families, yeah. or um, because of lack of prenatal care mm-hmm. and health. I mean, there's all kinds of complicated things. Um, um, so, but we, but we, 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 we try to speak the language as to why we do this. Yeah. It's because Jesus Christ, the revealed Word of God, contained in Holy Scripture, um, proclaimed by the Church, calls us to love one another, mm-hmm. and then gives us examples as to how we are to love one another. Now, the world has changed so dramatically fast in the past 10, 15 years, and this is not a middle-aged curmudgeon simply saying there were good old days, but we were joking yesterday. You were laughing in staff meeting when I gave the devotion in oh, staff yeah, meeting yeah. because I had, Couldn't hold it together. I had chat GPT write the staff yeah. devotion, and it was really, really it was, good. It was pretty good. And even last year, we would never have yeah. imagined I could pull up my phone and ask chat GPT to, you know... Um, to write something for a staff devotion. Um, you know, last night I had to, you know, I was joking with my son about getting him motivated for something. I was just messing around. I asked ChatGPT, write a motivational um, speech to a teenage boy in the style of Cliff Huxtable oh, there you go. from The Cosby <laughs> Show. And it did it, right? 
So that that's happened. Who knows what's going to happen yeah. next year? We we can't anticipate the the realities of society, the struggles, the controversies, the mm-hmm. divisions. There's no way we can. But if we're rooted in the language of faith, in the Holy Scriptures, in the witness of the Church, we are prepared for it. Yeah. That's why here we are sort of grounded in the past to be prepared for the future yeah. because we have that foundation. So that's the covenant we're trying to make uh, and to establish and live by here. It's not because you and I don't have opinions or because we are afraid, although there, there, there may be some moments where I'm a little nervous, to be completely yeah. honest, as any preacher would say. But I think ultimately it's because we truly love the people who come and the ones who will come, and this is what our, um, our goal and hope is for all of us, is to come to know, not by coercion and not by personality persuasion, but by inviting and making room for the Holy Spirit to change yeah. lives. Yeah, I think it's always um, threading a, a fine needle, and we want to use the pulpit to say things that we will never regret. Um, I Correct. mean, there, there is there is that element too, right? You know, I don't want to get up on the pulpit and say, you know, here's this, um, I don't know, here's this bill. I think it's great. This is the Christian thing. Five years later, we see it didn't actually do anything I wanted to do, and I'm sitting there saying, wow, I wish I wouldn't have preached on that from the pulpit. You know what I'm never going to regret preaching on? Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and His ability to transform lives. I mean, so so where are we putting all our eggs in one basket? I mean, to, to put it that way, it's with Jesus Christ first. It's, it's not with things that I may change my mind on in four years. I'm going to stick to what I know to be true for all people in all places at all time, that Catholicity. Um, and that's always what's going to ideally be the grounding of my sermon. And let's just also be clear, that's the context of the Mass. Mm-hmm. which is a sacred moment yeah. and is not ours to mess around with. Now, exactly. if you and I or any number of parishioners have um, an understanding of trust mm-hmm. and we're in a forum or a personal conversation, exactly. and, and they were to ask, what do you think about um, this happening in the news? That's a whole different mm-hmm. uh, context. And, and we should be prepared to talk about yes, those things. And, and, we, we, and we don't sit there and say, I don't, I don't comment on correct. that. Correct. We don't in the pulpit. Yep, in the pulpit. But that's, that's kind of the beauty of establishing that trust is you come to my office, we go get coffee, you come to a forum or a formation class, then there's that trust that, hey, we have this shared vocabulary, we have this shared sort of authority. So let's just speak about, you know, here's what I think right now. And this is, this is how I'm justifying it with, you know, the Christian faith, with, with Holy Scripture. Um, that's kind of where I'm at right now. And there's that level of trust that, um, you know, he's not berating me. Um, you know, the rector's not berating me over the head because I don't agree with him on this one issue. We actually are, are wrestling with this together. Um, and that's where actual community can build. And if I ever, I'll speak for myself, if I ever um, sort of... Uh, hedge a bit or pause over a controversial question, it may be because that I sense either in the individual or just sort of in the air that everyone is kind of half-cocked. Yeah, yeah. And everyone is, is, everyone is just pulling out a litmus test, and I need to know if I'm with you or not, so give me your answer on this question, and that determines... Yep. 
where I'm, what I'm I've going to do. I've got three questions. And this happens actually a lot in email where mm-hmm. someone will email me, you know, hello, Father, I uh, love your church online, looks great. Um, tell me Couple what you think about you. these two, three things. And then, and then that's going to determine whether or not they're, they're going to come here. Yeah. And, and my response is always to be as clear as I possibly can because I believe Jesus is, I mean, that's a stupid thing to say. Of course he's right. Um, but Jesus says, let your yes be yes yeah, and your no yeah. be no. So I really try not to be vague. That's difficult over very, very complicated things. So I try to say, like they'll say, what does your church believe about this? My answer is always, I cannot tell you what the people of this church yeah. believe on this. I can tell you my position and what we teach. Mm-hmm. Because this church is not, I mean, no church, no congregation, no not body of people or monolithic yeah. people. They, everyone has their own thoughts yeah. and opinions, and I don't speak for everyone. I can tell you what, what, I, what I teach, and I can, I can represent what, what you teach and what you proclaim. But um, I also would say that's, and I try to say that's really, I'd love for you to come and be a part of the community have a conversation, discover for yourself, and just simply not try to find, um, you know, just to, again, to tick those boxes. As soon as I say that, you know, maybe there are some questions that, yep. you know, do you believe Jesus Christ has risen from the dead? You know, well, not really. Okay, yeah, well, yeah. That's, that's different. But these are those, that's the Christian principle. Correct. Outside the things that are creedal, yeah. Yeah. Um, then, then I, I think, I think it's, it's a bit more... It's a bit more complicated. And if someone were to come to me asking about an issue, I may need more information. I may need to think this through more mm-hmm. myself, to be fair. But also, how are we? Do we have the yeah. same language? Do we have the same <clears throat> vocabulary? Do we appeal to the same um, source? And if we don't, let's work on that first, and then we can have a conversation. Yeah, thankfully, no one uh, emails us asking us our thoughts on the banking crisis, and that determines whether or not they're coming to church. I mean, that's not usually how it works. No. But I have had people leave and said and say um, that one one individual that your sermons are too based in scripture. Yeah, it's the greatest compliment I've yeah. ever received. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what we're going for. But what they meant was, you're not commenting on social issues mm-hmm. enough. It's too too much being in scripture. Yeah. If we listen in scripture, scripture is dripping with social commentary yeah. um, from beginning to end. It is. I know I uh, you know said. Don't talk about the sound bites and the graphics, but uh, I'm gonna break my own rule and and give a little a little statement that I think really does sum up um, for those listening or watching and for us. This is this is always a good reminder for me. The person who gives money to every homeless person they see is a hundred times doing more work for the kingdom of heaven than someone who tweets all the right infographics. I mean that that really sums up kind of I think our thoughts about this. Go and do it. Stop sitting and, and, you know, thinking that oh, I'm going to share this right infographic and that that is my, you know, proof of what I need to think that I'm a good person and I'm better than this person and doing the right thing because I said those words on social media. Stop doing that. Go go and do the work of work of God. Go and feed the homeless. Come volunteer at the shelter. Um, that That is always a, a helpful challenge for us to um, don't put your, you know, pride in, in, in sort of, you know, trust that what makes me a good person? Well, I said the right things on Twitter. Is that actually, is that actually doing what, what Jesus Christ commanded you to do? Yes, there's an element of, about preaching the gospel and using words to do so, but, but you're also commanded to go and, and treat every single person you encounter as if they are Jesus Christ. 
And that means the people that you vehemently disagree with. Um, and see, that's I, difficult. I can feel my own tension rising. I, I know exactly what you're saying, yeah. but because of conversations, I can hear already. But we need to let people know what the, what the, what the statistics are and what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Yes, completely. That's not what you're saying. That's not what, what I'm you're saying. What you're saying is if you do that, be embodied right. with the community uh, even more so yeah. and not just simply be use a voice but not yeah not, i mean take it to a extreme um somebody hungry begging on the side of the street does not care if you know statistics or not correct <laughs> they, they want money and food they don't care what what thing you shared on twitter they need what you have in your pocket um and that really you know that embodied um spirituality of every single person you come in contact with view them view them as if they are jesus christ that's ideally what every single person in the pew should hear us preaching every single week is, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they should walk out the door with, with newly opened eyes, filled with Jesus Christ, literally, sacramentally, um, and spiritually, um, to go do the work of God. That does not always happen perfectly. No, and, and with that, when you come to church and receive communion and hear the proclamation, we are reminded that we aren't going to fix the world's ills. Yeah. Jesus Christ said... You will always have the poor with yeah. you. It is hubris and it is Pelagian to think that we of our own efforts yep. can solve the world's problems. That means, that suggests that we can correct by ourselves the evils of, of sin. sin. Yeah. Jesus Christ has solved the world's problems, but the fulfillment of that victory, we are still in anticipation of yeah. what that looks like. So when we go and feed the hungry and we care for the homeless, we are, we are doing so with the confidence that in the fullness of time, all the world's brokenness will be mm -hmm. healed, and we're living into it, and we are foreshadowing that, and we have the strength to, to, to speak for those, to, to hear their voices, and to, and to be with them, not because we are um, special people, yeah. but because we are empowered by Jesus Christ, the yep. Holy Spirit, and weekly, daily, moment by moment, we are reminded of that fact. And yeah. that, that, I think, is and something that I try to keep in mind in the preaching because it's very, very easy to be tempted to say, here's the problem, here's how we fix yep. it. And especially sort of, sort of middle class to affluent yeah. uh, Americans were very good at doing that. Very good. That's, that's really the only way to actually call to attention those issues for what they really are, which is sin. Yep. I mean, if, if you want, you know, to say, well, you've got to be able to say, you know, racism, poverty, injustice are sin, well, that means that we need Jesus Christ to fix them. Yep. Um, and that that is always kind of what we come back to. We've got about 15, 20 minutes left. Um, I want to transition a little bit and now look ahead to this Saturday, which is the Feast of the Annunciation. Um in our triptych, you know, we've got three scenes. We've got the Annunciation, the Crucifixion, the Presentation. Um, so obviously, you know, this has become um, a, a major spiritual point for Christians um, for, for many, many, many years, this, this event of the angel Gabriel, you know, declaring to, to Mary. And there's so much um, depth there. So, you know, we'll spend a little bit of time as we close out talking about um, why it's so significant and, and maybe why the virgin birth matters to begin with. Um, it is not just a nice little fairy tale story. The, the virgin birth actually has some, some implications. So I'm going to read uh, Luke, from Luke 1, um, the scriptural basis for this feast day, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about uh, Mary and, 
and the virgin birth um, and Jesus's, you know, um, birth to begin with. This is Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy, who will be called the Son of God. And then he goes on to say, Your relative Elizabeth is also bearing, bearing a son. But that is um, perhaps one of the most famous you know, sentences of Scripture, um, Gabriel's declaration to Mary, you know, hail, hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Um, very, very famous, but theologically significant. Um, the virgin birth is, is more than just, you know, oh, it's, it's a special birth. Oh, it's a miracle. There's actually something theologically important about that. Um, when people ask you, you know, why is the virgin birth in our creed? Why is that such a important thing for us to believe? How do you how do you usually respond to that? Well, there are two things that I typically encounter. The first would be the doubter who says virgins can't give birth. Um, correct, and dead people don't rise from yeah, the grave. Yeah, that's kind of the point. Um, I've never understood that argument. Yeah. If you believe that there is a God who brought all things out of nothing yeah. into existence, frankly, a virgin birth is just peanuts. It's, yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. no big deal. That's, that's pretty a, low that's down a, there. That's a parlor trick in comparison yeah. to... I mean, if you think that's impressive, just wait. We have a story uh, for you. Why is the virgin birth necessary? Well, everything about Mary speaks to Jesus. Yeah. There was a comment I tried to make in the homily um, on the Feast of St. Joseph, which is transferred to Monday because it fell on a Sunday this year, is that everything we say about Joseph tends to point to Mary because mm-hmm. um, he was her protector, and everything we say about Mary completely points to Jesus. If yeah. it does not, we're saying the wrong things about Mary. So the virgin birth protects two very important things about Jesus Christ, is that he is fully human being, mm-hmm. born of a woman. He's fully God. Yeah. Um, she was a virgin. It was not a natural He does not have conception. an earthly father. Yeah. So the, the, the great line is that... Um, is that um, the Word of God, the second person of the Trinity, is begotten of the Father without a mother. Yeah. The incarnate Word of God is uh, born of Mary without an earthly father. Yeah. And so protecting the, vir- the, the virgin birth protects those two vital things about Jesus Christ, which are vital to understand is that he um, is both the perfect um, priest being sinless, and he is the perfect um, victim being of infinite worth, Mm -hmm. both necessary to be fully God and fully human. Um, That which which, um, Jesus did not uh, um, assume, he did not redeem, Mm -hmm. as the church fathers say. So he has to be fully human completely. So it's a very, very important um, 
um, doctrine of the virgin birth, but also to understand that our salvation was not done, and this speaks differently in 2023, it wasn't a virtual digital salvation. Yeah. It wasn't dialed in, so to speak. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And, the, and I said this Sunday, um, commenting on the theology of life, for instance. Like the theology of life, let me just, let's just take a controversial issue. Um, women's health, abortion, all of that. I bring that up, everyone gets on edge. Yeah. Everyone is ready to, to defend their, their case. Um, and I think that the, the place to begin is to say that Jesus Christ was incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mother, mm -hmm. that John the Baptist leapt yeah. at the appearance of uh, Jesus Christ in the womb, if we can, and Elizabeth calls him my Lord, my while Lord he is still in the womb. Yeah, I don't know why we can't advocate for two things socially: right. the protection of of the unborn, and to and to absolutely fight vigorously mm -hmm. for the health of women. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we have the resources and the um, the theological resources to sort through those very very complicated, nuanced, difficult yeah. cases, which no one. Of, of any goodwill in the church has um, has denied exist, but um, again, so if we proclaim the gospel and proclaim this, then within I think the heart of the individual, they begin to think about that and contemplate mm -hmm. that and meditate on that, and then they, through their conscience and the Holy Spirit, begin to work through how they understand the difficult challenges that we have in in, in the world today. Um, but I think, I mean, this is a fundamental, this, this is, we, we tend to think that Christmas is where the Word became flesh. Yeah. No, that's when, yeah. no, that's when we saw the yeah. Word made flesh, and no, the Word was made flesh here mm -hmm. um, in, in the Annunciation. And then that great line, and this is what we have to remember if we think, gosh, these things are difficult, and this is um, Pollyanna um, pontifications about how we can just simply follow the words of Jesus and, yeah. and everything will be fine. What did Mary say? How yeah. is this possible? Yeah, I stopped short, um, and then the angel says, you know, with, for nothing is impossible Nothing with is God. impossible yeah. with God. And I do believe if we trust in that, then the things that seem to be impossible, um, irreconcilable, mm -hmm. beyond agreement, nothing is impossible with God yeah. if we focus on, on, on His truth. There's two things I really love about this story. One is is how it plays out. Um, you get the declaration, you know, you're, you're going to conceive and bear a son. And, you know, if you're reading this for the first time, you might um, kind of think, okay, well, she's betrothed to Joseph. They're going to get married. They're going to have a baby. I'm with you. And God lets Mary kind of um, push a little further so that more theological truth can emerge from the story. And so she says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Mary kind of understands this is a here and now thing. Um, the Lord is with you is almost saying, you know, you are, you are full of grace, you're prepared, and the Lord is already with you. Um, and Mary says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And then we get this kind of explanation about the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And I think that is theologically significant. So I, I love that it's almost a dialogue between Mary and the angel that we kind of get to sit and watch unfold as all these deep theological truths are, are coming out of the angel in, in Mary's mouth. But also, um, this story, you know, in general, that, that Jesus does not have an earthly father, I think immediately pushes back against some of the 
uh, very famous heresies that will end up emerging. You know, adoptionism mm-hmm. is, is the first one that I think of, that Jesus was a normal person, and maybe at his baptism, maybe at somewhere else, the Spirit descends upon him, and God anoints him as his son. And we actually see that with a lot of the Old Testament figures, you know. Um, the son, They're even called, some of them, sons of God. They are anointed maybe at some point in their life, and then they'll become a king, they'll become a, a priest or a prophet. You know, it's, it's like a... It's an anointing ceremony. God says, okay, you were normal. Now I'm going to claim you as my own. Now you're special. That's not what's happening here. Jesus is not just a normal Hebrew person. In fact, he, he doesn't have an earthly lineage for his father. You know, and so when he says he'll, he'll you know, take on the throne of David, he's not saying because, of course he will, because he's from the line of David and he's a normal human. You know, he'll be a normal king like people would expect. No, he's, he's actually divine. And because he is God's son from the very beginning, that is why, you know, he has a claim to David's throne, but his kingdom will never end. Um, I think there's already this establishment from the very beginning that this is not like the kings of old. This is not like the prophets of old that you would expect. This is not like John the Baptist. He's divine from the very beginning. And and like you said, Mary is, um, you know, response to that how can this be and the angel saying for nothing is impossible with god what a what a rich statement coming from the angel who who is his messenger who knows exactly what it is like to be in the presence of god and he is the one saying for nothing is impossible he has he has kind of seen the glimpse of what is to come um, and now he gets to communicate that to to humans who until now have have been hoping and longing for something, and, and here it finally is. So I think it's theologically significant, and because it's helping us make sense of who Jesus is. He's, you know, he's not um, a Davidic king because he's a normal Hebrew man. No, he's a Davidic king because he's the Son of God, the, the only Son of God. He is God from God, um, light from light, as, as John will say. Um, and also because it, it is, you know, devotionally helpful for us to picture God in the womb of Mary. Um, that's significant. I, you know, One of the icons I have at home is of um, the meeting between Mary and Elizabeth mm-hmm. with John the Baptist and Jesus in the womb, and Jesus blessing John from within the womb. Almost this idea of, you know, it's hidden from our eyes, but here in this icon we get a glimpse of the inner spiritual reality yeah. of what is being prepared from the world. I mean, there's, there's so much in this story. There's so many places you can go. Um, you can kind of just close your eyes and pick a verse and find some devotional interpretation for you. Absolutely, and it, and it compels us, again, going back to um, social issues of the yeah. day, it compels us to to pay attention to those that are hidden from view. Yep. You cannot discard someone because they are not seen. Yeah. And I mean that literally in the womb. I mean that um, by choice, we can turn our eye and look somewhere else. Again, I mentioned the person on the street corner that we tend to judge. Or whatever whatever group that is discarded, overlooked, not seen, this gospel challenges that preference of ours. The other thing which is also important is that, and I think this is overlooked as well, is that Mary gave consent. Yeah, she did, yeah. And that is an important word in in debate about um, you know the Me Too movement yeah. and everything and all the things that come with that. Consent is always the um, mode in which 
God seeks our participation. Exactly. It's never against our will mm -hmm. because He loves us, um, and love requires respect for free yeah. will. So when she says, let it be done to me according to thy word, that is her fiat. That yeah. is her consent to what will then take place. So it's not as if Mary is some pawn yeah. in God's plan. Yeah. This was against her will, or as we've, as we've I think, blasphemy, um, in terms of a blasphemously heard sort of divine rape. Yeah. That's not yeah. what's happening. No. At all. And, you know, it's too much for us to get into now, but Luke is uh, very clear to avoid that when, you know, we have Greek mythology stories of the, the, the God, you know, taking the human woman and having sexual intercourse. The words the he uses in, yeah, in Genesis. Yeah, we have it in the scriptures, but the, the words Luke uses here, um, you know, again, too much to get into, but it, it's... It's as almost as if every step of the way he's intentionally avoiding any type of sexual connotation. Um, when we when we read the Holy Spirit will come upon you, that is a a intentionally non-sexual word. I mean, it's Luke the burning is, bush in the book. Of yeah, Exodus. Luke is um, kind of knowing. Hey, I know where people might go with this. That's not what's happening here. It's just it's just not. Um, and so I, you know. Luke himself is, is steering as clear of that, and still 2,000 years later, we'll get people you know, yeah. lobbing those accusations. And to, to tie it all up from beginning to end, if we focus on these stories and we're faithful to them, we'll find all the fruit we need yeah. to, um, to pray through how we, how we interact, how we vote, how we yeah. speak, I mean, how we advocate for others. Look how Mary does it. She has this encounter, and a chapter later is her famous Magnificat, yep. you know, the most social piece of, yep, of Scripture possibly ever. Um, what's the order in which that happens? She encounters Jesus Christ, now he is with her, and now she all suddenly understands the implications that the lowly will be lifted up and the high will be brought down. Um, you know, the, the, the birth of Jesus is going to upend the world. Yeah, she is the ark of the new covenant, yeah. and within her is now the new commandments, yeah. the new law. Right. It's all there. It is. And, you know, I don't know if I initially planned this at the beginning, but I think this, this Annunciation Feast um, perfectly fit in with, with the first half of this episode, talking about these, these hard topics um, and the Annunciation and Mary. Um, it does kind of all blend together quite nicely. Let's give advice to people who are listening, either if they're members of St. Timothy's or beyond, is to, um, is to not look to get angry when you go to a sermon yeah. either way, um, and to... Maybe Please think, don't. <laughs> maybe think about what is the long goal of the preacher. Mm -hmm. um, if you have an issue uh, with uh, with a sermon, uh, do talk to your to your priest, preacher, yeah. pastor, uh, in a way that is asking a question. And maybe there's something you didn't realize, and and maybe there's something, maybe there's something your preacher needs to hear as yeah. well. I mean, we're certainly not not above uh, correction. Um, or simply all. ignorance. Or sim I mean, I absolutely, absolutely. I don't know everything you know. I think, I think though, that what we would love is to have um, the benefit of the doubt that that if if we if we miss something, it wasn't because we we don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or there may be something else going on. So, but but also engage with your spiritual leaders about about. Engage with them about questions that you're struggling with, mm -hmm. and you want to know how to pray through. And not simply just to give a litmus test to see how they're going to vote. Right. I think my advice would be um, start learning how to define yourself for what you're for rather than against. We talked about that, and we didn't get into this, yeah. but, but yes, absolutely. What are we for, 
and are we identified by what we are for and mm-hmm. not simply by what we are against? Yeah, I think that is our, our gut reaction is when we see someone, we immediately think, how are they different than me? Yep. How are they opposed to me? How might we disagree? And if I come up with reasons for all three of those, I wash my hands and I walk away rather than saying, let's find some common ground. What are we for? Can we go pray together? Can some fruit emerge from that? Um, not to diminish the differences, but to to place the differences where they belong, which is subservient to Jesus Christ. Um, the differences will blend together and, and kind of take care of themselves if we are approaching the same goal. I mean, it's a silly example, but it's a true example. People use it for marriage all the time, that if you're both focused on Jesus Christ, you will find yourself being drawn together um, and able to deal with your differences. But that can be said for any genuine relationship, not just marriage. If you are you know, with a friend or um, even a stranger who you want to become a friend, if you focus on Jesus Christ and you are both together in pursuing him, um, you will find that you're able to talk about the differences, that you're able to wrestle with those in a much healthier way than you would if you just begin with that in antagonism. I think we're losing that. And my daughter, who listens to this podcast, because she's given up secular podcasts for Lent, so this is her only you know, <laughs> resource for, for podcast content. Um, I had... Um, She'll, she'll kill me for this, but I had lunch with a friend. You can tell her to pause it at one um, hour. Yeah, we had lunch with a friend uh, not too long ago who is not on the same theological, ideological necessarily spectrum that I am on, not on the same place on that spectrum that I am on. And she was surprised that I had lunch uh, with this person. I said, why not? They're a friend. And, and yeah. you know, we, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then she says, that's not how things work. Yeah. No, no, that's how things are supposed to work. But but I think in her world, among her peer group. she's probably right. I think she's right, yeah. is that is that because they have, she has grown up now in this digital social mm-hmm. media world where everyone is sorted based on what you are against. It is inconceivable to go and to be in relationship with someone mm-hmm. that doesn't tick all the same boxes yeah. you tick. That's not life, and that's not family, and that's not human yeah. relationships. Yeah, yeah. We uh, it's a recent development that now we kind of get to choose who we associate with. Correct. We've had to just deal with who we're who we're with for so long that now we're having to wrestle with, with kind of having that power. It's it's a lot of power. And you know what? And this this I keep saying this is my final comment. <laughs> but 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 we're talking. Let's just I will end on this. That's why coming to church is so important yeah. because that forces you to be in a community mm-hmm. that you didn't necessarily choose, and yep. that's the danger. Now we love that you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, but this is to to but we're not doing the Eucharist to here. whet your appetite yeah. to be a part of this community, or if you don't live here, some other community, because now we're challenged to to be with people that aren't exactly like us. And if we do church on YouTube in our home, a that's not the sacrament, but b we're in a very, very um, um, homogenous community, yeah, yeah. which is ourself and, and you know, the mirror, maybe our family. Yeah. That's not good for us at all. Amen. Let us close in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost, be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.